The title of this play comes from a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Casey made mention of that in the play tonight. It was 1861. Mr. Longfellow, who is a very distinguished poet, a very articulate poet, someone who could take words and put meaning to those words in a way that would just capture our attention, experienced something that, you know, you never wish on anybody, but experienced the tragedy, the loss of his wife. To add to his sorrow and his heartache, his son was involved in fighting in the Civil War. He lost contact with his son. He didn't really know what happened to him. And after much search, he found out that his son was injured very badly in the war. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was at a place in his life of deep darkness, a very low point in his life. Maybe some of you are there tonight. He was just asking himself the question, what does this all mean? Could you go any deeper and lower in life than I'm at? On Christmas morning, December 25th, he woke up very hollow, very empty. But he heard that morning a familiar sound. He heard the church bells ringing and chiming, calling people to come to the Christmas services at that local church. As he listened to those bells ring, Words started coming to his mind that became the poem, I Heard the Bells of Christmas Morning. He wrote this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. That thought. Then pealed the bells more loud and sharp. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. This evening, as I tie it all together, I want to tell you tonight that God is not dead and he's not sleeping. God is alive. This Christmas play rings the bell to us tonight. Ringing the bells because bells have historically been used as a message of announcement. Bells are wrong as a call to worship. Maybe you grew up in the old-fashioned churches where church bells were rung and in small villages and communities, people would hear the church bells and that was a call, a beckoning, a summons to them that it was time to go to church. 
Bells are rung as a call to worship, but bells have always been used as a, as a means of warning. You think of uh, out in the ocean areas there where close to shoals and, and shorelines and where there's hidden rocks underneath the waters that, that mariners have established buoys with bells on them so that mariners on the waters who are approaching would know by the, as the tides are moving, they would know by the ringing of the bell that they're very close to rocks and it would be very perilous and dangerous for them to, en- to enter. Fire engines historically have had bells attached to the trucks, and they would ring the bells to let people know as a warning that something was going on. Bells would be rung as a call to worship. Bells would be rung as a call for warning. But bells were also rung many times and still rung today as a means to tell somebody about something that's very wonderful. I think about as a child growing up, of the ice cream man and the ice cream truck would come by and it would ring the bell to let the children of the neighborhood know that the ice cream man is in town. Something wonderful like that. I think about in 1776 at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for the very first reading of the Declaration of Independence, the Liberty Bell was rung, announcing to all the citizens and everyone there and patriots galore that they should come and hear the words of this Declaration of Independence. Many of you have gone to perhaps a corner area or, or and seeing the familiar sight at a post office of those people that we know as the Salvation Army workers dressed in their Salvation Army uniforms and standing there and ringing the bells and chiming to people to come and to pay attention to the kettle that would be next to them and that we can have a participation by making a donation of money, money they would collect and use for perhaps helping the, helping the homeless or perhaps people who were victimized by fires or things of that nature. They would ring the bells as a call, would you help us, would you come, would you help us? would you come you see tonight the handbell is ringing this evening too the handbell is ringing to you and I about the true meaning of Christmas you see this evening Christmas can be summed up in several Bible verses of scripture the Bible is God's living word in the in the book of the Old Testament book of Isaiah who was a prophet many years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born wrote this in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 he wrote this and you might say it was a sounding of a bell it was a bell that was sounding about the prophecy of the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote these wonderful words that many of us as Christians sometimes pen in a Christmas card or put in a note or we send by social media to somebody else. We'll write this down, this verse. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I wish those who take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain would understand his name is not a swear word, and his name is not to be taken in vain, but his name truly is wonderful, and his name is Counselor, and he is the Mighty God, and he is the Everlasting Father, and he is the Prince of Peace. He's wonderful. I want to tell you tonight, to know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior is wonderful. It's wonderful to have a relationship with God. And tonight, I want you to understand this evening, God is ringing the bell here at Christmas time. As we approach Christmas, Christmas Day next week, we're uh, two weeks from now, we're realizing today that Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. God is ringing the bell. He's ringing the bell to let you and I know that Christmas is wonderful. You see, tonight, we're visiting the fact that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who is this Jesus? Who is this child that is born? Who is this son that was given. Would you notice with me tonight, Jesus Christ is the son who is God. The bells 
are ringing. Jesus Christ is the Son who is God. He is God. He is God who came in the flesh. The Bible describes it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the Gospel of John, John uses, he opens up the gospel of John in the very first chapter and introducing Jesus Christ to us as the Word. And he uses a capital W to introduce Christ to us as the Word. You see, before the New Testament came and before we had the Gospels, the Bible says that God spoke to us through his prophets. We find that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times has spoken unto us by the prophets. You see, God had his written Word, that where he gave us his Word, the Bible. And he had the word that was spoken orally through prophets and preachers and pastors of those days. But as Jesus Christ came, but he says, he has spoken to us today through his son. And so John, realizing that, presents to us Jesus Christ as the living word. We have the written word and we have the oral word, but Jesus Christ is the word who was made flesh, the living word. And I think John chose that because Jesus Christ is God's heavenly language that's understandable to everyone. You see, the name Jesus is translated in every language. And this verse of scripture, John 1.14, is translatable in every language. He is God's language made clear to every person. He's God's heavenly language. He is God. Jesus is God who entered this world through the miracle of a virgin birth. The virgin birth through Mary was essential so that Jesus is God would enter into this life with a sinless life. He entered this world as a baby, but there is a baby in a little manger which looked very helpless. He was powerful God. I want you to understand tonight that Jesus, when he entered this world, did not come in royalty as a king, if you would. He didn't come in royalty with soldiers behind him and mounted horses. He didn't come with chariots blazing abroad into the city of, 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 of Bethlehem or Jerusalem, Bethlehem announcing he had come. No, Jesus didn't come as a CEO, and he did not come as a multimillionaire, and he didn't come as one who owns the world, though he is. I want you to understand tonight. Jesus Christ is God. He is God who made this world. He is God who made the intricacies of the universe. He's God who holds things together. He's God who makes all things beautiful. He's God who gives us the tapestry of the skies. He's God who's created the wonderfulness and the magnificence of the mountains. I think of the Mount Everest of the world. He's God who created the grandeur of the Grand Canyons. He's God who gave us the great wonderfulness of the oceans as we travel the oceans. As we go to different places and examine the landscapes and the change of the seasons and the snow and the rains and the sun that comes down. I want you to understand all those things we take for granted, those are the creation of God. Those are the mightiness of God, the handiwork of his creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and to night unto night showeth, lang uh, showeth his knowledge. Listen to this. There is no language nor voice where this is not understood. I want to understand tonight. He is God. He is God who is all powerful. He is God who's here forever. But he came into this world not in greatness of might, if you would, as we would think of it. He didn't come in as a great showman. He didn't come in as a general. He did not come in as a captain of an army. He came by way through a virgin. He came by way through a miracle birth. And he came as a little baby. We think of babies as being helpless. We think of babies as being powerless. But I want you to understand today, our Savior came into the city of Bethlehem, a little obscure, unknown city to most people. 
And as he was born in that city, they had to find a place for that, the baby Jesus to be born in. There is no hotel. There is no hostel. There is no, there is no Airbnb in those days. That poverty-stricken Mary and Joseph thought, there's a cave over yonder where people place their animals at night. Perhaps we can find shelter there. Of all the places, there was no room for Christ except in that little cave. And they went there, horses and cows and donkeys and sheep, the smell and the stench of animals, and not to gross you up with the smell and stench of what animals do. Hay all over the place. Baby's born, a baby doesn't have a very strong immune system. Mary was great with child and gave birth to the baby Jesus there in that cave. They needed a place to put the baby. As he was born, they just took strips of cloth, the Bible tells us, swaddling clothes as it's called, and wrapped him limb by limb, portion of body by portion of body, to keep him warm and secure as a little baby. And they tried to find a place. Where do we put the baby? And the only place they could place him, there was a horse trough there. Troughs were places where animals would eat and animals would drink their water. And somehow I imagine in my mind that Joseph had to clean out that trough and make the most of what he could and took the clean hay that he could find and laid the hay out and made it as soft as possible. And there that baby with all that they had, what little they had, they laid that baby Jesus inside. I want you to understand there, he was a little baby and he looked like he was helpless and he looked like he was powerful, poverty stricken, but he was almighty God in that manger there. He was almighty God. He entered this world as a baby, but at all times, he was a powerful God. During the long war, war years, a boy was looking frequently at a picture of his father that was on his kitchen table. His father had left their home when he was an infant. All he knew of his father was just that picture there. Every morning at breakfast, Every evening at dinner time, he'd look at that picture. Years went by. The father never came back home. The boy looked at that picture, and as he got a little bit older, elementary school age, there was a longing in his heart. And he said this statement, if only my father could step out of that picture and be real. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus stepped out of heaven, and he stepped out of eternity, and he became very real to man and woman. He became real to you and I. He's God Almighty. He's God who's perpetual. He has no beginning. He has no end. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He and God the Father are one and the same. They're both eternal in nature. He's God who's perpetual. He's God who's powerful. I want you to understand tonight, Jesus is all-powerful. I want you to understand tonight, as he ascended to heaven, the very last words he said before he ascended to heaven, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has all power. I want you to understand tonight, Jesus has power over nature, and Jesus has power over storms, and Jesus has power over diseases, and Jesus 
Jesus has power over demons, and he has power over death. The Bible says there's nothing that Jesus cannot do. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's God who's creator. He's God who's commander, and he's God in his entirety. He's God completely. We see tonight Jesus Christ is the Son who is God. Dr. R.G. Lee, I was sharing this this morning, Dr. R.G. Lee, who was the great pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, for many, many years, probably one of the most articulate and uh, preachers that was ever produced, a man who impacted many, many lives through his preaching, he made this statement about the person of Jesus Christ. He said this, Jesus was the only one ever born who had a heavenly father, but no heavenly mother. He had an earthly mother, but no earthly father. The only one ever born older than his mother, yet as old as his father. Jesus Christ is the son who is God. But notice, secondly, Jesus Christ is not only the son who is God. God rings the bell for us tonight about that. But God rings a second bell. And the second bell for us tonight is this. Jesus Christ is not only the Son who is God, but Jesus Christ is the Son who is given. May you listen to tonight about what that verse of Scripture we read earlier says? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now, what was he given for? Why did God give his son? And we have the answer to that in the Gospel of John in the third chapter in the 16th verse. Because that sums up in a nutshell what the Bible's all about. That sums up in a nutshell heaven's handbells ringing and announcing to us why God sent Jesus to this world. And it says to us, for God so loved the world that he gave. God tonight is not asking you to give him anything. He's given to you. For God so loved you. God so loved Alan Fong. For God so loved the world. 7.7 billion people. Nobody excluded. That's a wonderful thought right there. For God so loved the world that he gave. I want you to understand something. Those who may worship a, an idol God you have to give to that idol God. But I want you to know that the God of the creation, the God of heaven, and the God of the Bible, the God, our, the one we call Heavenly Father, He stepped out first and took the first step, and He gave to you and me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What does that mean? It means He's the only one of His kind. The only one virgin born. The only one that had a sinless life. The only one who is 100% God, 100% man. He gave his only begotten son. Listen to this. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's the son who was given. Now, why was that? Because the bad news in all this is that all of us, all of us are sinners. I've talked with many people of different religions Even atheists. And everyone still has this one conclusion. We all know that we are sinners. We all know that there's some badness inside of us. Every one of us has a propensity we could be like a criminal in one of our state prisons. Every one of us knows that we've sinned when we've lied, we sin when we have stolen. 
We sin if we worship a God other than our Heavenly Father. All men are sinners. The Bible says all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is holy. God is sinless. That's why Jesus had to come into this world through a virgin birth to maintain what he was, that he is sinless for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are sinners who come short of God's holiness. But here's the bad part. Here's the part that grieves me. Here's the part that compels me why I'm in the ministry. Here's the part I want you to understand why a church like ours lovingly opens its doors and extends its reach to as far as God will allow us. And we have a reach that goes around the world in many places. A reach through all of this area, the greater Bay Area. That God must punish sin. God's wrath of punishment upon sin is that every sinner is responsible for his life and our sin must be punished. And the Bible tells us this, that every sin has a consequence. It tells us, for the wages of sin is death. You know, the hardest thing about death, the hardest thing about death is the emotional separation. We may think that we can, we, can, we can deal with it, but the truth of the matter is we can't. When we've developed a relationship very closely with someone, and we know that person, there's something about how God made us when there's a parting of ways, that we realize that there's a physical separation from that person. In this life, we will not hear their voice anymore. Where we used to sit, their seat at the table will no longer be occupied. Their seat will be empty of realizing that the warmth that they gave and the encouragement they gave is no longer there. They're, that parting is very painful. The parting is very grievous, which leads to grief. But can I tell you, friend, tonight, worse than a physical parting, a forced and a physical parting that we have with someone is the, is, the, is the spiritual separation we have with God. Because to die in our sins, without our sins forgiven and washed away by God, we will spend all of eternity separated from God in a very terrible place called hell. It's very interesting. Every religion of the world has some concept of a hell, a place of punishment, a place where our sins must be punished. Now, if we just stop there, if we just stop there, life is hopeless. If we just stop there, we have to ask ourselves the question, why even live? Why am I even here? What I want to tell you tonight, that's where God comes in. He starts ringing the bell. And God rings a bell to call of attention because the Bible goes on by saying that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, you see the bell's ringing to announce to us God has a gift that he's wrapped up. It's wrapped up in love. And that love that he presents to you and I is the gift of eternal life. It doesn't cost you a thing. It was paid for in full by God's Son, Jesus Christ. And we can explain it this way. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth or proved his love towards us. You say, well, how does God love me? I've never met God. You're going to meet him tonight. You say, I've never met God. How does God love me? I mean, come on, Pastor Fong. Does God really love me? Yes, he does. And he proved his love, the Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. Our sin debt was placed on him. He paid our sin in full. 
He died on the cross. He suffered for us. He shed his blood. While we, the Bible says, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then God says something even more. He says much more than. He says, hey, I got something even better to tell you. Much more than being now justified by his blood. In other words, the, the payment price to pay for our sin was to shed blood of Jesus Christ. The word justification means when, when, you, when you by faith accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, God takes your sins and washes them away, and your record that you have no longer shows you're a sinner. So we, we like to say in our circles, just to being justified means God looks at you and me just as if we never sinned. That's a good thing. Just as if we never sinned. And so he says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. The wrath of God on sin can be removed by the fact Christ already died for your sins and God invites you and I by faith to repent of our sins and by faith call on the Lord to save us from our sins. This case exemplified in the play tonight that we can call on the Lord by faith and say, God, I know I'm a sinner who needs to be saved and I realize tonight Jesus Christ is the way to you and I come by way of Jesus Christ. I take him as my Savior to take away my sins so that I can have forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. You see, tonight, the bells are ringing to call our attention to the most wonderful gift you can receive, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The bells are ringing. Jesus is the Son who is God. The bells are ringing. Jesus Christ is the Son who was given. But as I wrap it up tonight, I want you to think with this thought. Jesus Christ is the Son who is gathering. He wants you to be saved tonight. You see, Isaiah, as he wrote that prophecy about the son who would be born and the child, child would be born, the son would be given, he went on to the next verse. He said, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Christ is enlarging his kingdom, and his kingdom is heaven. He's enlarging heaven every time someone by faith calls on the name of the Lord to save them from their sins. He's gathering you and I, to receive him as your personal Savior. I'm so thankful, 48 years ago, December 4th of this year, in my living room as a 14-year-old boy, a Sunday school teacher told me what I'm sharing with you tonight, and I'm thankful 48 years ago, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I opened my heart and stepped out by faith and called on the Lord to save him. I know heaven's my home. I know my sins are forgiven. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Let me tell you the story, and I'm done. A very wealthy man was a single father. His wife had passed away years before. They had one son. This wealthy man was a collector of art. I'm talking about a man who just, not casual art. I'm talking about, he, I mean, this man was an expert in art. He collected paintings. He bought paintings. He went to auctions and wherever he went. He went around the world and he collected the paintings of the Rembrandts and the Van Goghs and the Picassos and all the famous, famous painters of years gone by. As his son was growing up, he nurtured and ingrained in his son the same taste and love for art. 
Many times they would eat dinner together and then they would walk into the large, this man had a very large mansion at home and they would walk into the parlor where all the paintings were displayed and there were many paintings there. And they would sit down there in their lounge chairs and they would talk for hours about the paintings and they would talk about the intricacies and they would say things, oh, look at the description there and look at the facial features and look at the landscape there. And they would just say things like that that caught each other's attention. They just, they just enjoyed hour upon hour talking about that. The Vietnam conflict came about and the son was drafted to go to war and he went to war to fight for his country. The boy was involved in a skirmish and several of his fellow soldiers were shot and injured very badly. And the son went out there out of love and loyalty for those friends and he tried to bring as many as he could. He grabbed one and enemy fire was coming in all directions and he grabbed one and brought him to safety. He grabbed another one brought him to safety. But as he went out another time, a bullet hit him and another bullet hit him and he was hit, being hit by several bullets and he started to feel the pain and he started, his mind started to go around, going, going circles there and he brought that last person in but as he did so, that last young man that he brought in, the young man collapsed and he died from loss of blood. They sent news back home to his father, that wealthy man, who worried every day, I wonder how my son is doing. They sent a military representative to his home and told that man, we're sorry to tell you, your son gave his life while in duty for his country. Needless to say, the wealthy man was grief-stricken and heartbroken. And went into deep mourning. They brought his son's remains back. They had a great memorial service, a celebration of life service to celebrate his son's life. But after all that was over, he went back home. And, and you know how it is if you've been through there. He felt this sense of loneliness, emptiness, loss, like a piece of him, a part of his life was missing when his son passed away. The week of Christmas, there was a ring at the door. The doorbell rang. And the man sent a servant to open the door. And there at the door was a soldier, neatly attired in his military uniform. And next to him, he was holding a large package that was wrapped in brown wrapping. And he said, Sir, he said, he introduced himself. He said, I fought alongside the man's son. I was given this address. Could you tell him I'm here? I have a present I want to give him. And the servant went back. He said, you wait here, sir. And he went back and told the wealthy man about this. And the wealthy man said, well, bring him in. Let's meet over in the parlor. He ushered that young soldier in and the soldier came in neatly attired in his military uniform with his package and they came inside the room. He said, son, what's your name? He told him his name. He said, sir, he said, listen, I was the last man that your son rescued before he died. Your son was a very brave and courageous man. We were in a skirmish and we were caught by surprise and we, had a, we were at a disadvantage and your son saw several of us that were injured very badly and had no way of getting back into, into an area that was safe and your son risked his life to go out there and get us and help us and I was the very last one he brought back and I want you to know something, sir. He says, your son and I were very good friends and he talked much about you and he expressed to me how much you loved him and I want to tell you, sir, he loved you very, very much. The old man was just very taken aback by this display of love and concern this young man had. 
tears were coming down his eyes and the young man said, well, by the way, sir, he says, I, I realize I didn't mean to get you all stirred up, but he says, I want to tell you why I came. And he started to move, untie the strings that were holding the, the brown wrapping together. And, and as soon as he took the brown wrapping off, he said, I have a present I want to give you. It was something I made for your son. I completed it for him. But he said, your son is not, obviously cannot receive it. And I brought it here to give to you because I thought maybe you would appreciate this very, very much. And unbeknownst to that wealthy man that that soldier was there was a painter just like and had an interest in painting, but was a, was a painter. And this young man, this soldier, had, made a, had, had painted a painting of this wealthy man's son. It was a large painting about life size, and, and he looked at it, and, and the, the older man looked at the, the old man, looked at the wealthy man, looked at this picture and this painting, and he said, wow, that just seems to capture all the details of my son. And he looked at the facial features and the eyes, and he couldn't help but notice the eyes. The eyes just really stuck on him. He says, my, those eyes look so lifelike. They look like my, the eyes of my son, and everything looks so meticulous. He said, son, that is a wonderful gift and a wonderful painting. He says, this is wonderful. He says, do I owe you any money? He says, no, sir, it's a gift. I want you to have it because I'm giving it to you because of what your son did for me. Well, the wealthy man was so impressed with it, he took that, he made space in that parlor, and he hung that, that painting of his son in a very prominent area. People would come and visit that old man every now and then, and as they did so, he would always usher people into that parlor, and the very first painting he would show them, he would explain to them about this painting about his son, and he told the story about how his son gave his life for this other young soldier, and that young soldier before that had made this painting, and he described this, and he would talk about the details, everything about that picture of his son. A few months went by, and the man had been in ill health, and his health took a turn for the worse, and the old man passed away. Before he passed away, he set all of his affairs in order. He had a will and, a, and trust and things of that nature that you do in estate planning. And he got his estate plan all together there. And he did stipulate in his estate plan that at his passing, that all of his artwork and all of the, the things in his estate would be auctioned off. Well, when word got out this man's paintings were to be auctioned, painting experts from around everywhere heard about it. They knew about this man's extensive collection. They knew about his taste in art. They knew that he did everything he could to, to, to garner for himself all the expensive paintings. They knew that, boy, this has been a great opportunity for us to get our hands on some of the, of, of the, the paintings of the masters, the Van Goghs and Rembrandts and, and Picassos and so forth like that. And so they announced the date of this great auction they would have, and people assembled from afar, very distinguished people and other wealthy people and people very knowledgeable in art. They all assembled together at this meeting hall. And of course, as the, talk, the clock was ticking, it started to get very restless because these are business people and these were wealthy people. They were interested in one thing. They wanted to buy the art of this man. As the auction was about to begin, the auctioneer came to the table and he took a gavel and went, the auction's about to begin. As he did so, he turned to one painting that was very prominent there on the stage. And that painting that was prominent on the stage was the painting of the man's son. He said, now, the auction process will begin like this. We're going to bid the picture of the son first. As he said so, a voice shouted out from the back, we didn't come here to see the picture of the son. We came to see the picture of the masters. Bring out the masters. And so the man had to take his gavel. He had to pound again on the table. He says, listen, let's get order here. We begin with the auction of the picture of the son. 
Who will offer a bid? Can I hear a bid for $100 for the son? And someone shouted out from one side over here. They said, show us the masters. Bring out the Van Goghs and bring out the Rembrandts. We don't want the son. We want nothing to do with the son. And that man said, no, we must auction the son. And he said something like this, the son, the son, who will take the son? You could hear this buzz inside the room of people that did not want to participate in the auction for the sun. A hand, lone hand, went away in the back of that auditorium. It was the hand of the gardener who took care of the estate of that man. He put his hand up and he says, I'll offer $10 for the sun. I'll offer $10 for that painting. And the auctioneer said, I hear a bid for 10. Do I hear one for 20? Do I hear one for 20? Will anyone offer? They said, let him have the son. We want the masters. Let him have the son. We want the masters. And the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, sold to the man who offered $10. And across the room, there was a sigh. <sighs> Now we'll get to the masters. The auctioneer did something that was very unusual that no one anticipated. He says, now I need to tell all of you that the old man had a stipulation in his will. The auction ends right now. And they said, what are you talking about? And there's this unrest again that rose up in the group among the people that were there. He said, that man put a special stipulation in his will. He said, the man that bought the painting of the son, that everything that man owned, everything in his estate, would be passed on to that man. And the auctioneer made this statement. You see, whoever gets the son gets everything. Whoever gets the son gets everything. You see, tonight, if you take the son, Jesus Christ, you get everything. You get everything. You get heaven as your home. You have peace with God. You have forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are washed away. You become a son of God. And you become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things become new. My friend, tonight, God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be saved. When you take the son, you get everything. You get everything. And God wants you to take the son tonight by faith. You say, well, how do I do that, Pastor Fong? I feel a little bit scared about this, and I'm not sure what, how do I go about doing this. You see, tonight, we exercise faith by praying. Paul said this, in one of his epistles, he said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What did he mean by that? He said simply this, when you recognize in your heart that you have sin, and we all do, and you know in your heart of hearts you would really want your sins forgiven, and you really want to go to heaven, and you really want to be saved from your sins, here's what you do, that if thou or you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. In other words, God is saying, all you have to simply do is out of a heart of sincerity and repentance and faith, you can call on the Lord tonight to save you from your sins. You know, tonight, you can be born into God's family. 
Tonight, heaven can be your home. Tonight, December 15th, can be your second birthday. Tonight, you can, you can do business with God and know that you can have consummated and made sure this evening that you're going to heaven. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, elementary school or high school, a college student or working adult. It doesn't matter if you're a professional or a craftsman. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're working or retired. It doesn't matter if you're a widow or widower. It doesn't matter if you're divorced or single. It doesn't matter about that. Everyone here today who's not 100% sure they're going to heaven, you can make that sure tonight. And I'm going to help you do that. Because in a moment like this, we get a little nervous about what we're supposed to do. I'm going to lead you and show you how you can pray and call on the Lord to save you tonight. You can take the sun and you can get everything. You need to call on the Lord to save you. I'll lead you in prayer, but when I do so, we'll go very slowly. And the words that you pray with me should be your words, and they should be from your heart, and they should be meaningful. I wanna tell you last night as we did our presentation, many people in this room came alongside of me and prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. I wish I could have told you the people that came up to me last night and said, Pastor Farr, I want you to know I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I gave them a word of assurance and encouragement, and I'm going to give that to you tonight. 